Sports Radio 1043 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. All right, we are back. Let's go to the phones. And joining us, as he does every week at this time, one of our favorite contributors. You know, Nate, I've been trying to take some digs at you, but somehow I just can't get him out this year, so i got to be nice to you. Nate Zielinski. We're, we're both getting old. We're getting a little soft in our age. Just a part of it. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, I, I, I turned the heat up in the cabin before doing the show. It was great to sleep. It was cool last night. I told Karen I'm becoming a delicate flower. She said I'm becoming a wuss. But <laughs> <laughs> I'll keep my opinion quiet because I'm with you. Yeah, I, I, uh, yeah. <laughs> I tell you, the, the spring ran late, and you know, I, I I was joking with my guests on the boat the other day. I feel like I always miss the nice seasons. You know, we we walleye fish, you know, in March and April down here at night. And it's cold, and we're wearing ice armor. And then right when it starts to warm up on the front range. We move up to the mountains to target lake trout and pike, and we're back in ice armor. And we always tend to miss those seasons. And I was up uh, guiding some pike on Tuesday this week, and I tried to wear shorts. And I'll tell you what, it uh, the mornings right now are starting to dip into the low 30s up in South Park, 32, 33 degrees. And, you know, I didn't put on my first pair of shorts up in the mountains until, like, almost July. And uh, we're already having to put pants back on. So uh, I'm definitely getting soft to my age and there is definitely fall in the air that's for sure no there really is well you know one thing that is happening with these changing temperatures those bait fish are moving away from the shore it's got to be changing the bite geez louise terry i'll tell you what you know i uh i did almost you know a, a solid year and a half at chatfield without seeing a lot of bait you know it's almost one of those things that you know, it was too good to be true. The fishing in the last 18 months at Chatfield has been insane. And I'll tell you what, the Shad had a banner year at both Chatfield and Cherry Creek. I, I talked to a lot of anglers like, oh, the Shad are, you know, out of control at Cherry Creek, but Chatfield's not as bad. I tell you, if you go out and look around at Chatfield, obviously we have a, a, a lot of water to cover. Uh, but when you start looking around, the shad are absolutely everywhere. They're up in the trees. They're off the trees. They're out in the main lake. Uh, so we had a banner shad hatch at Chatfield and Cherry Creek. Um, and we knew it was coming. I think we're very fortunate that we lasted until about the last week uh, before seeing the effects of that bait fish. Uh, but we have definitely now seen the effects of that bait fish. So we want to do a quick an update on how anglers adapt to this, how they overcome it, how they continue to have success. And then I think we need to talk about hunting stuff. But uh, right now, Chatfield, Cherry Creek, Pueblo, Bar Lake, all of these fisheries, uh, I don't want to say they're overwhelmed with, with shad, but there is a lot of shad at these fisheries. And the traditional bait bites, bottom bouncers, all the jigs of bait, those type techniques are, are definitely coming to a, a very slower hope of what they have been in the previous month. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Those, you know, we talked about, I can remember all the years I was within fishermen and we talked about structure and identifying where the fish move and where they hold. But when it comes down to it, it comes down to what are they eating because they have to eat to survive. They're, they're, more, they're more likely to be caught while they're eating and you really need to pay attention to the bait. 
That's it, Terry. The, the bait kind of controls everything. So two concepts here. We're going to talk about two things with that. Um, we have two techniques that are working. Um, if you are a hands-on angler, right, like you still want to cast, you like the jig, even if you're that live bait angler, there are still ways to be very active with the rod, but the goals of that is reactionary fishing and fishing shallower water. So number one, if you still want to go out there and jig, instead of throwing the paddle tail, instead of throwing the, the jig head with live bait, we're going to switch over to blade bait. Um, you can even get away with a jigging wrap as long as you work it fairly aggressively. But those concepts are only going to be true in fairly shallow water structure situations. So when you have been out there, you've been in, you know, 12 to 16 feet of water on structure, whether it's a roadbed or a hump or a shoreline, that now is too deep. All the bait is in the top, you know, call it six to eight feet of the water column. So you have to find structure that is in that six to eight foot or shallower. So if you still want to hold on structure, it's doable, but you have to find shallow structure. So at Cherry Creek, we're fishing the very top of that big sandbar in front of the tower. We're fishing around the sunken island over by the main marina. Um, there's a little sunken island kind of over in the corner, uh, call it the southwest corner of the body of water, uh, or all the very extremely shallow water points on the no wake side on the south side of the reservoir. But you have to find structure that is five, six, seven feet of water. And you can throw those blade baits, jigging wraps, um, and, and create a, a good reaction bite and catch some fish. Same thing at Chatfield. You can fish shallow structure, very shallow structure, and catch some fish on reaction baits. But if you truly want to go out and have the best possible day of catching fish with the most fish and the biggest fish the way of the crankbait is here terry um i know a lot of anglers don't like trolling so if you don't like trolling you can cast these baits but if you want to have the best day fishing possible you're going to fish small high action crankbait so we're looking at size fours and fives flicker shads jointed flicker shads you're looking at hot and tot you're looking at normal Norman middle ends. You're looking at the entire wave of uh, lipless crankbait. So whether you're a traditional rattle trap guy by Bill Lewis Lures, you're throwing, you know, all the variations of the Berkeley bait. Um, no matter what the case may be, those lipless crankbaits are doing well. So you're taking small, you know, two-inch crankbaits. Um, you're fishing them fairly fast, you know, one and a half to two and a half miles an hour. I should say 1.8, 1.9 to two and a half miles an hour. And you you can cast these baits or you can troll these baits. We're doing best casting, or excuse me, trolling these baits because it allows us to cover more water and put the bait right in the strike zone. So when we get out there, we're trying to get a good evaluation of where the shad are. So are the shad right on the surface? Are they three feet down, four feet down? And we're trying to put our baits just below the shad but above the walleyes. And we're trolling those baits right in that zone. A lot of times we're throwing a planer board on, but due to the busy reservoirs, we're not putting them out very far. So we're letting our lines out, you know, 10, 15, 20 feet behind the planer board, attaching the planer board, and just putting it out 10, 15 feet to the side of the boat just to get away from the prop, just to get away from the boat noise. Uh, and I'll tell you, we're having some great success on walleyes right now. And as a byproduct, Everything is up feeding on those shads. So we're catching bass. We're catching, you know, so I should say, at Cherry Creek, we're catching largemouth doing that mixed with the walleyes. We're catching wipers mixed with the walleyes. At Chatfield, we're catching trout. We're catching smallmouth. So everything is mixed in there while targeting those walleyes with that approach. And, and that's the best way to catch numbers and big fish right now on these bodies of water.
Well, and as we approach fall, those shatter are going to group up more and more. And eventually, hopefully we'll see in the late fall where we get into a true, where it is a spooning or a blade bait bite that begins to dominate again and those fish get, get stressed. But right now, the fish are just going to fall. You mentioned it. Every species in that lake is just going to follow those bait fish because the young of the year bait fish right now are just the ideal size to feed on, and they're munching. And if you try to distract them from that, you better have a good presentation and get a reaction because they're not going to chase a long way. They're they're not. There's so much food, and, uh, again, you have to cater the fish. You cannot be that angler that's going to anticipate these fish coming a long ways for you. You have to cater them. We even yesterday, I uh, I was actually guiding a, a big jumbo yellow perch bite at Chatfield. Uh, the panfish at Chatfield have exploded. We're getting big bluegills. We're getting big giant perch. Uh, and we're getting perch that are, you know, upwards of 12 inches. We saw one fish that was 12 and a half yesterday. So giant perch. But just to emphasize how important the bait fish is, we even saw jumbo perch that were sliding off the bottom, grabbing shad and going back down so uh like when you said it everything in the in the lake is up there activating on those shad so uh again you can try uh try the shallow water jigging and, and you know there's a good possibility it'll work but if not you know again abandon the bait it's one of those things that we all hold on to it as long as possible because it's fun it's easy but when you go out there if you're not having success tie on the crankbaits, learn that technique, build confidence with that technique. It's going to help you catch more fish at the end of the day. You're absolutely right. I couldn't agree more. Let's, well, we got some time left. Let's switch things up. <clears throat> Hunting season, Nate, is, it's going to be it's just a couple weeks away. I mean, it is. Pronghorn archery starts in the next couple days, literally by the next show. Um, but the big thing, I, I talked to so many, you know, hunters, and, and everything's creeping up on us, right? We had an extremely late spring. Everybody's busy, and kids are going back to school. But this is the true tale. If you don't believe me that it's time to start thinking about hunting, on Tuesday of this week, I heard my first elk bugle of the season. So you can pretend that nothing's happening. It's only August 12th. By no means is there even a hint uh, of an elk, you know, breeding season going on. But regardless, I heard a bull elk put his uh, put his face up in the air uh, and let out a little squeak. So it is time. Uh, I've been kind of watching the elk. We are seeing the first signs of those elk lose their velvet. Typically, within the next seven to nine days, all the velvet will come off. Uh, but we're already seeing bulls that have reached that kind of peak of growth. Uh, they're starting to see the testosterone flow. Uh, everything is kind of getting there, and we're starting to see those bull, or the bulls uh, starting to rub off. So it is flat-out time. So with that being said, now is the time to scout. We always talk about that right now why the bulls are still grouped together, um, why they're out spending a lot of time during the day before they've migrated and moved to look for cows or cows have migrated on. Get the pattern. Start learning because everything slowly starts to change. Everybody says, why do I scout uh, if things are going to change? Because everything is valuable. You want to know the numbers, where they're acting, where they're around. Um, everything is beneficial to learn behaviors. So as things start to move a little bit, you can keep up with it rather than going in and having to learn everything. So we are spending time out there learning behaviors, watching, watching where they go, watching where the bulls are starting to pay 
attention to cows, watching behavior of these bulls as things slowly change as you start to approach a rut period. So whether you have an archery tag or a muzzleloader tag, you're watching these animals to learn the slight behavioral traits to know how you're going to hunt these animals. We talk about this all the time. So many hunters have a style. You know, they know that right now they're set in stone. They're going to go call to these animals. They're going to sit on a water hole. But in reality, if you truly want to be more successful every single year in the field, you have to adapt to the flaws of the animals. Let these animals tell you how they're going to hunt them. So I'm watching them now. I'm watching individual animals, and I'll start to notice little behavioral traits that they do that I know will lend me the upper hand when pursuing these animals to create that successful harvest. So I'm watching all of that stuff now, and I encourage everybody, now is the time. Uh, Again, get out there, learn the patterns, learn everything about these animals. It's only going to make your hunt easier uh, as we come forth in that hunting season. So again, everything is happening right now. We're starting to see those changes. Uh, It is time to get out there and pay attention to them. Again, the elk is the biggest thing showing those signs of change. The deer are going to be in pretty much their normal patterns right now all the way up until somewhere between that September 8th and 12th is when we're going to see them rub off of their velvet and you're going to see drastic changes in their patterns. But right now, I would say with the elk over the next, again, seven to nine days as we see them kind of you know, perform their change uh, as they approach the fall breeding season. And the last thing I want to touch base on the hunting of all the big game, we had a very cool summer except for a short hot spell there, lots of water. So we've got lots of undergrowth, both shrubs and grass, and we've got water everywhere. Is that going to affect the location of these animals or will they end up being back in their typical fall locations? I think you're going to find them in the same location, but like we've mentioned in the last couple shows, I think you're going to see drastically less migration. They don't have to go as far for food. They don't have to go as far for water. They're even finding, you know, larger bedding areas. I'm seeing these animals bed down in areas they normally couldn't. I'm seeing deer bed down just on hillsides because there's so much undergrowth uh, that they're able to find kind of that that safety and sanctuary in in off-normal places. So uh, I think, again, I think the locations are going to be fine but i think you're going to see less migration obviously the less time that they're out moving around uh means the less opportunity for you to to make your approach so i think that's the biggest thing that we're going to see and what i've been seeing so far uh is different migrations on a daily process uh as they just don't have to travel as far for food last quick question i'm going to switch you back is that pike bite still on up in the mountains I'll tell you what, Terry, I had uh, on Tuesday, uh, I had uh, an absolutely amazing day. I had six fish in the net over 37 inches. Uh, Our biggest fish topped out just shy of 43 inches. So every one of those six fish was 33, uh, excuse me, 37 to 43 inches. Uh, Josh Sedevy had two 40s four or five fish in the upper 30s that same day uh it is absolutely on so if you are a pike angler that the time is now our water temperatures dropped about three degrees uh on the surface as we kind of see these fall temperatures start to come in and the pike are absolutely going strong so we've also had a, a phenomenal kind of wide range of techniques we're catching them on top water we're catching them on jerk baits we're swimming plastics uh we caught them on some big cranks 
So, so there's a lot of opportunity uh, for techniques, but hands down, the pike bite is on. I would, uh, I would get out there and take advantage. These are huge fish, and they are definitely holding a lot of summer weight. They've been eating well all summer. Uh, the water are high. The metabolism is cranking. Uh, these fish are, are looking really good right now uh, at the state they're in uh, currently. All right. If people want more information, how do they find you? You can always find us at tightlineoutdoors.com, Tightline Outdoors on Facebook. Uh, if you want more hunting information than that, you can always follow Nate Zielinski on Instagram. Uh, we don't necessarily always talk about that, but I do daily posts kind of uh, of everything that I do in life on my Instagram page. If you go to Instagram, it's just Nate Zielinski. You can follow that and follow everything that we're doing. We're spending a lot of time shooting, scouting, prepping. Uh, so, again, if you have Instagram, follow me there. Uh, we'll keep you updated on everything happening here in the state of Colorado. All right, my friend, we'll talk to you next week. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. All right. Nate Zielinski, always a tremendous resource. Man, man lives and breathes the outdoors. He's such a resource for the show. We're going to take a time out. We come back. We're going to talk to the guys at Jack's about getting ready for archery. I mean, boy, if you're not ahead of the game, you might find yourself uh, not being able to get ready in time. All that and more coming up on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Uh, We're broadcasting live from northern Minnesota at the Little Winnie Resort. In fact, we interviewed the people from the Little Winnie Resort. We are going to uh, post that on our, our, uh, our Facebook page. We post a lot of things on our Facebook page uh, as far as our segments and getting, uh, you know, you can go to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan or denversports.com, and you can see all of our podcasts, both by the hour and by the interview, going back months and months, even years. But we take the most timely ones, and we put those on our Facebook page uh, that really are pertinent to what we're covering right now. Right now, we're waiting from a, for a call from the folks at Jack's Outdoor Gear. We're going to talk some, some archery hunting, you know. We have a mantra on this show about not getting ready to go hunting, but staying ready to go hunting. But a lot of people still, they think, I have time, I have time. They procrastinate. And the um, we had a late summer, obviously. It was cold and rainy and wet well into, well into the late summer. And I think hunting seasons are sneaking up on people a lot this year. They're just starting to feel like they had some warm summer weather, and we're already going to see the shift into the fall with the the monsoons and the colder nights. So a lot of people are are getting caught not ready, and you're running out of time in a hurry. Do we have Gideon yet there, folks? We're still waiting for him. We'll talk a little bit about several of the Jack stores have complete archery departments with pro shops. Uh, the one in Fort Collins where Gideon works is a Matthews bow exclusive, and they carry all the Matthews bows, both the standard Matthews and the youth lines. And so they have access, but they work on anybody's bows. They have an indoor range, 20-yard 20, 20, uh, range in the store that's available to the public, and they have a complete pro shop that can tune your bow, go through your accessories, um, build new strings, in fact, Gideon was talking to me, uh, I talked to him during the week, and he said one of the things that people wait, no matter what shop they go to, is getting the strings built for their bow. And what happens 
when you're getting the new strings built for your bow, is this time of the year, everybody's doing it. And people rush in, and the shops get way behind. I mean, we're talking archery. Um, pronghorn is not that far away. And you have to have time to get the new strings built, to match it with your arrows, <coughs> excuse me, to get some practice time in. Uh, another thing I like to practice at archery is the 3D ranges. A number of Colorado state parks right now have 3D archery ranges, and they, they, um, and they, uh, it's such a different practice. Now, practicing in a fixed range where you're standing at a distance from a fixed position is great for working on your basic techniques, you know, getting your all your things down so you're feeling comfortable building muscle memory but when you're in the field you very seldom get to take a shot like that even from a stand you're going to be turned a little bit you're going to be facing a little bit so what you need to do you go to these 3d ranges and you end up in maybe a little bit of an awkward angle you end up with a little bit having to turn a little bit uphill downhill a little bit just little bit of cover that you might have to shoot around and what that'll really do is sharpen your hunting when you're archery hunting the other thing it does when you're shooting into a circular standard target you see where you hit that target but if you're shooting at an animal and that animal isn't exactly flush to you that arrow enters at a different uh, a different way in a different place and so what what happens is you think you're getting a good shot, but when you see how that arrow entered, it may never have really gone to a vital. So that's very important to practice on 3D so you can see the entry point, where the trajectory of the arrow goes, and you can <clears throat> practice and get those in your mind. The other thing is people tend to shoot at 30 yards, 40 yards, 50 yards. Do some shooting at 55 yards, 47 yards, 36 yards. Do the different types of, <coughs> excuse me, do the different types of in-between distances to make your adjustment. What pin do I use? How far do I go down? Don't You don't want to think about those things when you're in the field, so you have to be very careful uh, when you're doing all that. Now, we're going to be out of time here in a minute, so I don't think we're going to get to talk to uh, Gideon, but I know he wanted to talk about the fact that at their pro shop in Fort Collins, they do tune-ups, repairs, they'll build your strings. Um, they'll make it so you can count on your equipment. They want you confident that when you do get that shot, you may only get one or two shots an entire season. They want you to be confident you can make that season. Bring your bow in, full pro shop, 20-yard uh, indoor range. They'll accessorate it up. Or if you get the new, um, the, new, the new bows from Matthews now, Matthews is building a whole setup. It's built around accessories, so you get the bow, the quiver, everything is trim and matching and works together, and they're really good at it. Now, a number of the um, the jack stores have different archery departments, and Fort Collins has the Matthews Phase 4. Loveland has a different line of bows, which I, I don't remember right now, so you can shop around. But a lot of them have ranges. They have really good, sharp Bowtex in their stores and they'll help you, and youth lines. And they'll really, really help you get going. So I'm sorry that Gideon probably got stuck with a customer. We didn't get to talk to him, <clears throat> but he's a, an incredibly knowledgeable outdoorsman and a great hunter. And there's guys like that at every one of the jack stores that'll take care of you. Tell you what, we're gonna take a timeout. We come back, 
We're going to talk some more fishing on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear on 104.3 The Fan. Just an old guitar player in a one-night stand called life. When I die, there'll be another one to make the music right. They're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan, and Colin is really sucking up. He's playing all the Wickstrom and Dobrit music. We love that, Colin. You get extra points for that. <laughs> but once again, that's a that's off. Uh, that's actually our newest single release that's out there. So just search Wickstrom and Dobrit on online, both in streaming and on our social media, and you can listen to all our songs. Let's go to the phones now. And joining us, one of our longest and most consistent contributors, Mr. Chad Lachance. Good morning, Chad. Hey, good morning, Terry. How are you this morning? You know, I'm doing great. I have I want some run something by. I know you want to talk about a different, I think, special fish that's available in Colorado, and I think it'll be great. But we had a texter. Um, we had a little mix-up in our connection. We are talking getting ready for archery season, and he texted in and said, uh, how do you get close enough to a pronghorn to take one in archery? I can never get closer than 200 yards. Well, 200 yards would be stretching it with a with an archery tag. I'll have to admit that. I wouldn't take that shot. But there are ways, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it today, but you're also as an avid hunter as you are an angler. And when you're hunting pronghorn, no matter how you're hunting them, you know, there's decoys and blinds. There's using uh some people I know have a fake cow they get behind that gives them shelter. It's more about having them come to you than trying to spot and stalk them, don't you think? Yeah, for sure. Um, and I have hunted uh, antelope or uh, pronghorn, more correctly, uh, with archery equipment and, and rifles. And uh, I prefer rifles <laughs> because they're tasty. But at the end of the day, um, I have tried both spot and stock and been successful at that. The key there is a lot of terrain. You need to you need to hunt an area that's got the terrain that's set up for that, meaning you've got some ups and downs. If you're hunting stuff that's really flat, that's not going to work. You won't even be able to sneak through the brush, in my opinion, or the sage. They're very good at that. But if you've got some 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 terrain, some structure to work with, you can stalk them. Uh, blinds, for sure, very effective. Uh, if you've got the patience for it, antelope season tends to be hot, so most guys will set that blind up on a water hole. But historically, I've also seen it work on a hole in a fence because antelope don't like fences. And so uh, you can set blinds up on any sort of a pinch point that will funnel them through. And then the third one, you did mention the decoy. Having done that as well, I probably would not do that for um, bucks, buck antelope. And the reason is this. When I have tried decoying before, every doe that sees that decoy is going to come to it. And the buck's going to stand out there 250, 300 yards out there and watch to see what happens. And then you got all those does standing on top of you looking at you and you can't move. So I would probably, if I was using a decoy, I am not a fan of using an antelope decoy. That seems like a good way to get shot. So a cow is the better one. When I did that, we've, we've drawn every doe antelope in the region. So it's a great way to shoot does, though. So that's my two cents, by the way. Pronghorns are my favorite game animals to eat. So I will be hunting them this October. And I will talk to Nate Zielinski. I know he's harvested some with a bow, and we'll try to give you a little more information, uh, listener, next week, too. Or I'll have Karen get a hold of Nate and see if he can include it. But I knew you'd have something to put in. I wanted to put some in. I'm not going to kid anybody and tell you that getting a pronghorn with archery is easy. 
but it's a it's a worthwhile hunt that can be rewarding. Let's talk a little bit about fishing now. You want to talk about a fish that you and I have chased through the northern Arctic, but it's also a fish that a lot of people don't even realize we have right here in Colorado, and it really offers a unique experience and. It's a pretty uh, agreeable fish. It, you know, they're they're not that hard to catch. No, yeah, we're gonna talk about grayling. And every time I post something about grayling, I get all kinds of comments about, oh, it's a bucket list. It's a bucket list. Well, within a couple hours of Denver, you can fulfill your bucket list pretty easy. And the two places I wanted to talk about for grayling are at Joe Wright uh, up on the top of Cameron Pass, and then Pearl Lake up by Steamboat, up by uh, up by uh, Steamboat Lake State Park up there. Pearl Lake and, and Joe Wright both have big numbers of grayling in them. And as you pointed out, they can be very willing fish. Um, my, my biggest thing with grayling, if you want to catch grayling, they are extremely observant. And they live in crystal clear water for the most part, maybe a little tannin in it, but that's it. And tannin is what makes it look like iced tea. Uh, but that's about the extent of the discoloration in the water. So with the water being clear and them being very observant fish, even more so in my experience than cutthroat trout, uh, you need light line, you need small presentations, and in some cases either a complete lack of motion or the, the real speedy motion, one of the two, will get you bites. But the biggest thing for me is line. You've got to be down in the four- to six-pound test at the most, in my experience, to be consistent. Uh, or you just will struggle with them. But once you get once you get through that, um, then you can get them on a whole variety of presentations, both with a fly rod and a spinning rod. Uh, in my experience, they're easier to get to bite in a lot of cases on small flies, uh, but the spinning rod gives you range. And so when you're talking about fishing one of these lakes, having a little bit of extra range can be really good, particularly if you don't have a boat. And because they're both heavily, both lakes I'm mentioning are heavily treed around the edges and not really an opportunity to wade because they're steep. So the only problem with the fly rod is, is the angles that you've got to work if you don't have a boat. But the spinning rod will give you the range. Little tiny jigs will get it done in a lot of scenarios. Um, we caught them on the little two-inch power swimmer pretty good. I've caught them on uh, a variety of little goat baits on jig heads as well and any sort of a little soft uh, marabou, uh, you know, a little tiny jig of some sort like that, like a little crappie jig, but on the small end of the spectrum can be really good. And then when it comes to flies, um, really it's dealer's choice. I've caught them on everything from, from little simulators on the surface all the way to little tiny nymphs and everything in between. It would really, you know, be dictated by the conditions you're up against and all that. But one thing I will also real clearly say about them is I've watched them be feeding heavily on flies on the surface and again, the water's clear, you can see them, but you can retrieve something on a spinning rod or, or a fly rod that's completely different than what they're feeding on. In a lot of cases, they'll still turn on it because they're opportunistic feeders, and like I said, they're very curious. Well, I, at one point, I want to go back and emphasize that I couldn't agree with you more is small presentations. Their mouth is not very big, and they can be an incredibly frustrating fish as far as you'll get hit, you'll get hit, you'll get hit. Um, I like a small small flies on a bubble when I fish for them that they can suck in. But uh, you, you mentioned there's a number of presentations that'll work. Now, up in the Arctic, we caught them on three-inch gulp minnows. We had some grayling that was just beautiful. But, but, yeah, yeah, but they're here, a lot bigger up there, though. Yeah. and in, But in Colorado, it's a small mouth fish, and it could be very frustrating. That's a, I'm down to, a lot of times, 18, 20, 22 flies. How about you? 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't think I've ever thrown a fly bigger than about a 12 for them. Uh, but I have caught them, like I said, on e- even even at Joe Wright, where their average fish is maybe, what would you say, maybe 10, 11 inches at the most. Uh, they'll still bite a variety of things. And Austin Parr, a mutual friend of ours, tuned me into a really good thing with them that, that he and I both played with together, which is a little tiny blade bait, an 8-ounce blade bait. And that seems like a long ways from anything engraving would bite. But ever since I learned about doing that, it has worked every time I've gone. And, again, it gives you the range. And a blade bait, like a little tiny, like an 8-ounce thin fisher, uh, doing a lift and drop with it, for whatever reason, that seems to, to trigger them really well. And I caught them both at Pearl Lake and at Joe Wright with that same bait, just throwing a little chrome and just keeping it moving, making it go fast, and, uh, and they'll grab it. And like you said, they're famous for bumping stuff and not getting a hold of it. But for whatever reason, they seem to get that little blade bait pretty good. But really, more than anything, it comes down to getting around them, having really light line, and then playing with stuff to figure out what to bite. Now, when you're fishing that blade bait, I've never used that for grayling, but I would think you're not fishing it traditionally like you would fish a blade bait down deep. So you're keeping it up in the water column and just keeping Correct. it moving? Yep. yep, up in the column, working it in the top, say, three or four feet, which is why it's such a weird thing. But um, but it works really, really well. And, and actually, last time I was at Pearl Lake, which is a beautiful place to fish, by the way, this time of year, which is also why I wanted to talk about that. It's up high elevation. Um, the We caught them really good in, a, in a, I would say, four to eight-foot range over deep water, and they just murdered that blade bait. Just as long as I kept that thing moving, they were all over that thing the whole time. So whereas I, I had a lot of stuff that was more rhythmic and less erratic, and they wouldn't get it, and I couldn't get them consistently on the fly rod, which I had right there as well because they were just a little too deep, and I wasn't quite set up for that. But if a guy had been set up to fish you know, six, seven, eight feet deep with his fly rod, he might have caught him really good. But for me, that day, the blade bait was better than anything else really high in the water column. And last time Austin and I actually filmed up at Joe Wright, the only thing we could get bit on was that blade bait. And so it's definitely a viable presentation, even though it's way outside the box. Well, one thing I will say right now, if you're going to fish for these fish, now is the time because the ice just barely goes off those lakes by the end of June and it probably later this year and then it's going to start getting cold and snowy up there in a couple months so now's the time to be up there my experience at Joe Wright I haven't fished Pearl is that from a float tube I was very successful with a fly rod uh, from the shore, I went to a fly in a bubble. I just needed to get out away from the shore further. I mean, you could see the fish everywhere. I uh, just had to get away from me a little bit when I was on the shore so that I could get some action. But I've had great success at Joe Wright. and It's just a fun fishery, and they're prolific there. You can actually even harvest a few. Yeah, and I've never tried to harvest one. I have no idea uh, what their feed value may or may not be, but there's actually almost over-prolific at Joe Wright to the point where Parks and Wildlife put some tiger muskies in there to to keep them and the suckers in control, and their average size is getting a little bit bigger up there because of that. Uh, and I agree with you 100%. you got to get away from yourself a little bit on the bank, and that goes back to the water being clear and the fish being very observant. Uh, and a fly in a bubble is a great call, uh, no question about that. And actually, that power bait retrieve that I learned from the Europeans would probably work excellent if you're at a place where power bait is legal. It is not at Joe Wright. But, uh, and then as far as locating them, I'm going to do the typical stuff. I'm going to look at the, the inlet, the outlet, and the dam. Uh, is going to be the first three places I'm going to look. And for the record, I've caught them in all three of those places in both Joe Wright and Pearl Lake. So it's pretty straightforward as far as where you're going to go find them. 
And a lot of scenarios, particularly in early or late in the day, they'll be rising, and that'll be your first clue as to where they are. But don't get hung up as you have to feed them a dry fly because they're pretty good about chasing something down or at least coming and looking at it. Yeah. <laughs> I've had great luck with just any kind of a green nymph in about an 18 each 18 size under a bubble, and I've had great luck. Before we run out of time here, what else, anything else going on? How's horse tooth fishing? It actually came back up a little bit, which is a little bit strange uh, for being August. It dropped a couple weeks ago. It dropped a couple, three feet, two and a half feet, and then immediately now it has turned and come back up of maybe four inches or so in the last couple of days. Um, fishing is not easy. I'm not going to lie to you right now. There's fish scattered all over the place. Uh, because of the high water, there's still a ton of trees in the water and willow bushes in the water. So you might catch one up against uh, a willow bush somewhere in shallow water. You might be targeting them in open deep water, just depending on what your strength is. But in the last week, I've caught good-sized smallmouth from dirt shallow to, to 25 or 30 feet deep. Uh, the walleye bite's been pretty much non-existent unless you're uh, trolling for the most part. I mean, there's there's been a few fish caught here and there, but nobody that I know of is being consistent with them right now unless they're trolling, particularly late in the evening, and that's because of the smelt population. Uh, the smelt come, they release from the thermocline in the evening, come to the surface, and uh, and that's when the uh, that's when the wise will feed on them. There's random rainbows running all over the lake, and you'll stumble into those just with anything fast. If it's small and fast, then you'll get rainbows. It could be anything from a jerk bait to an inline spinner to a spoon to a jig. If it's moving fast, you're going to get some trout. I caught three of them in about 20 minutes on a drop shot the other day, just reeling it in, trying to go to my next presentation. They just grab it. So that's a possibility. Um, but yeah, overall it's not easy right now, but it's, it's definitely doable and the water level's high and it is pretty. So there's that. All right, my friend, we will let you go and we'll talk to you in a couple of weeks. All right. Thanks very much, Terry. Have a great afternoon. You bet. Chad LaChance, Fishful Thinker Television and of course, Fishful Thinker Guide Service and great contributor to this show for many years, even a fill-in host, the very first person that filled in when I was gone. We used to always do it live or sometimes we'd tape it. And if, when we decided we didn't like the tape version, we always wanted the show to be live. He was the very first host that filled in and, and let, uh, and took over while we were gone. We'll take a time out. When we come back, we'll wrap up this week's edition of Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You're just a tear in my eyes each night I cry myself to sleep. You're just a memory of a love. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors and apparently a Wickstrom and Dobras concert. Thank you, Colin. You're doing great playing our songs. We'll tell you more about that in just a minute. A couple things I want to cover here real quick. There's some great bites going on right now. If you need to get out and catch some fish, the white bass that boiled are boiling on the surface. Just kind of float around in your boat, especially in the evening when they come on. Start casting little crankbaits, little surface baits to them. It can be almost a fish on every cast. It's a time of your life. I have a video on that on my YouTube channel, The Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom. In fact, Karen posted a link to that video on our Facebook page, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. It'll take you to that. I also have a couple of videos on there about the Joe Wright uh, grayling fishing we just got done talking about. Another bite that is just on fire right now are the lake trout at Granby. You'll probably need a boat to get at those. It's just going to get better as we get to the fall. I mean, 
there's big fish being caught, big fish, I mean, 35 to 40 inches. But the real bite is the numbers of those 16 to 22 inch fish are just phenomenal. They're willing, they're great table fare, and they are biting like crazy. So you may want to uh, take advantage of that. Get out. We've got everything going on. We've got hunting seasons coming up. It's just a great time to be in the outdoors. Now, is Mr. Dan Jacobs in the studio? I am here. Well, you and I haven't got to talk for a couple weeks because I was over on ESPN for a while while there was some Broncos programming going on. And now they've played their first preseason game. And I don't want to be one that puts much stock in what happens in the first preseason game of the year. But a couple things jumped out at me. <clears throat> one is that Russell Wilson may very well be a very serviceable quarterback. Whether he's more than that, time will tell. But I think he's going to be better than we saw last year. Um, that being said, our backup quarterback probably isn't very serviceable, and we paid a lot of money for him. And then we have a problem at kicker yet, I think. I haven't got no, I have no confidence in our kicking game. Well, everything's that you said I, I can't disagree with, um, although we gave up a whole lot for a serviceable quarterback, so that's discouraging. Now, Terry, I was going to ask you about this because I was listening to the drive yesterday. I was unaware of this. This is an outdoors type thing. They're saying it's so boiling hot in the desert that the cacti are dying. Are you aware of this phenomenon? I'm not, but I could see. But I, I know in the Phoenix area, they've had like 30 days that exceeded 110 degrees. Yeah. And, the, you know, the cactus or cacti, if you want to talk plural, do need water just like other plants. They just don't need it as often and as much. Yeah. And, you know, I've, I, I knew that they needed some water, but I thought they were, you know, they're, they're built to withstand the heat. You know, they're a desert-type plant, but apparently... Uh, they are not built to stand up to that much heat, which is, but, but humans are living there, Terry. Good choice by them. Well, let me tell you uh, another thing about cactus. You see all these shows and cartoons and things where they cut it open to get the liquid out yeah. and they don't have water. Right. That's just like, that's like one of the worst things you can do. First of all, a lot of the juices in there will make you nauseous, nauseous. And you can't get that much water out of them to make it worthwhile. It's just, it's useless. It's just a, an old wives' tale that probably has caused many people to die in the desert. Really? Huh, interesting. Yeah, yeah I'm familiar with that. Like, there was an old, oh, I can't remember which movie it was, but it was like, yep, he just cut the base of the cacti, cactus open, and it was like, oh, there's, you know, it wasn't a ton of water, but it was like, yeah, enough water to get by. Yeah. That Not true, unfortunately. Doesn't work. No, it doesn't work. But I've, I'll bet you have some interesting takes on the game coming up here in just a few minutes. Yeah, uh, unfortunately, I don't think, as much as we were sold on it, I don't think the offensive line is, quote, fixed, or at least not from what I've seen at camp and from what we saw last night, Terry. Yeah, I think um, we need to start drafting some offensive linemen and really building an underclass that can move in. It's just... Uh, it's kind of scary in that uh, the games are still won at the line of scrimmage. And we're not probably that good on either side right now. No. All right. I will close this out and let you talk to people about it. All right. Sounds good. You bet. 
This is going to wrap up this week's edition of Terry Wishama Doors. We're here every Saturday from 9 to 11. Occasionally, they kick us over to ESPN because of some Broncos or some college football programming. If you like what you hear, tune in every Saturday. We talk fishing, camping, hunting, the outdoors. Follow us on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook. A lot of the fishing we talk about, you can find on Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom and search for Wickstrom and Dobrith and listen to our music. We'll let the Eagles take us to the top of the hour and sports with Dan Jacobs.